0: I greet each of you in Jesus' precious name. Thank you for your prayers. Several weeks ago, there was a phrase that was, that continued to go through my mind. And it may have been and probably was inspired by the Sunday school lesson that we had back on June 11th. But the phrase originates from Psalm 8. And it is, What is man that thou art mindful of him? What is man that thou art mindful of him? And in Psalm 8, we see the psalmist, who probably is David, asking this question. And so I invite you to open your Bibles to Psalm 8, and we'll read these verses and kind of get a perspective of what may have been going through David's mind as he penned these words. I'm going to read... All nine verses, but we'll be kind of focused more on verses three and four, where we find, um, or verse four, where we find the phrase, and also verse three kind of gives us some perspective. Psalm eight, verse one O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens, out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. So David, if it was David that wrote this, has spent many days out with the sheep. He was a shepherd, and so he spent much time with the sheep. And I assume he was out there during the night. And what did he see? If We look at verse 3. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained. I don't know if any of y'all have had the opportunity to get away from light, the pollution of light around uh, towns and so on, and just get to a really dark area. Years ago, um, some of us youth boys we're back in West Virginia camping and we went at night, drove up into more of a pasture land area where it was very open and it was just pitch black. And as we looked up to the skies, it was just amazing what you could see with the naked eye, the beauty of the stars. It was beautiful. And I had to think about that time when I think about this verse and what David is saying and what he saw. As he would have been out there with the sheep, Night after night, probably, he could see the beauty and vastness of the universe. And he comments, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Lord, you created such a beautiful place, beautiful universe. It is so grand. And just how little we as men are. <clears throat> Brother Chafin knows a lot more about the universe and the stars and so on than I do. And I thought about asking him to share a little bit this morning to help us get a perspective. But I did a little research and found something that someone put together that speaks about the vastness. And maybe it will give us a little bit of an idea of our solar system in, in relation to the rest of the universe. And if I say something that's not correct, Chafin, feel free to uh, correct me now or later or however. <clears throat> but I just want us to think a little bit about our solar system and its relation to the rest of the universe, just to, to think about how small man really is in God's eyes. Sometimes it's hard for us to think about how little we are. But I think it's good for us to do that sometimes. So the moon orbits at an average distance of 240,000 miles from the Earth, which seems like a long distance. But in reality, that distance is somewhat easy for us to understand, considering that we can get that many miles on a vehicle anymore sometimes. You can drive it two hundred and forty 240,000 miles um and and it not be totally wore out um and so we can grasp that concept of of how far 240,000 miles are even though it is a long distance but the sun is about 400 times more distant than the moon from the earth and something that i hadn't really thought much about and possibly, quite possibly y'all have, is how remarkable it is that even though the, the sun is 400 times farther away than the moon is, it is 400 times larger. And so we get the same angular size as the moon. So as we see the moon come up over the horizon, what it appears that it comes up, it's a beautiful, nice-sized ball in the sky. And it's beautiful. And have you ever thought about the sun is kind of proportioned to be that same size as we see that come up in the morning? And I hadn't really thought about that. But even though the sun is 400 times larger, it still looks like it's about the same size because it's 400 times farther away from the Earth. And so the angular size is fairly similar. Imagine if it wasn't that way and the sun took up 400 times, appeared 400 times bigger or larger than the moon, just how big that would look coming across the sky. But God made it all perfect. Obviously there would be a lot of other complications if that was the case. It would be a lot closer and so on. But I just, just that simple thing just impressed me thinking about the, the angular size is is so similar between the sun and the moon so if the sun is 400 times farther away it's would be 93 million miles and we can't hardly comprehend or fully appreciate just how far away the sun is and so an analogy may be helpful. So how long would it take to drive 93 million miles? If we were to drive 65 miles per hour, it would take 163 years to drive to the sun at 65 miles per hour, nonstop. And so that's not even doable for man because man don't even live that long, let alone the other complications. But but the sun is a long ways from the Earth. The sun is far from the Earth, and yet the Earth is much closer to the sun than many of the other planets. Consider Pluto, a tiny frozen world at the outer edge of the planets of the solar system. Pluto is about 40 times farther away from the sun than the Earth is. So traveling at 65 miles per hour, it would take about 6,500 years to reach Pluto. The solar system is truly vast. If it had been the only thing God had made, we should certainly be impressed. Yet God has created an even larger scale. And if we consider as we consider the distance between the stars. So if we think about the nearest star system to our solar system. It is um, called the Alpha Centauri, I believe. M. The distance to this system is about 25 trillion miles. And that's the closest one. Such a number has little meaning to most of us who can comprehend, who can comprehend 25 trillion miles. This is about 6,800 times farther away from the Earth than Pluto is. So to help us grasp this to some extent. Let's imagine that we had a miniature scale model of the solar system with Pluto's orbit being only one foot in diameter. And so that's what this is supposed to illustrate. This is approximately one foot in diameter be the, our solar system. The sun would be approximately in the center and the earth would be just an eighth of an inch away from the sun. And so small or the sun itself would be smaller than the period at the end of a sentence in this ratio. And so, obviously you won't be able to see, but just in the center, the sun, and then the earth just an eighth of an inch away in this ratio. So, um, where would we place the next nearest star in our one foot scale model solar system. So if the the whole solar system would fit in that one foot scale model, how far away would the next nearest star be? Does anyone want to guess? Such a large number, it's hard to, right? So at this scale, Alpha Centauri would be over half a mile away from, from here using this, this scale of our solar system being fitting in in that one foot scale. And that's just the nearest star system. Our galaxy is comprised of countless numbers of stars at much greater distances. And I only share that just to help us think a little bit about the vastness of this universe that God created and truly we as men Women are fairly small in comparison to what God has created. As we think about us being on this little dot there in the middle, how little we actually look to God. And I had to think, when we lived in Puerto Rico, there was a lot of fire ants, mounds and so on down there. And if you'd be mowing along and you would hit one of them with the mower, ants would just go everywhere. And I would have to think different times about, is that what we look like to God? Just running all over down here on earth, just going everywhere. A lot of confusion and chaos. Um, Hopefully that's not exactly the same picture. But, you know, how little is man in relation to the universe? So what is man that thou art mindful of him? Does God know that we are here? Is God mindful of us? I think we know the answer to that. He does. Truly the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork, as it says in Psalm 19.1. So why does God even notice man? And I had to think back to Genesis chapter 3, and um, we know the account of God coming down to visit Adam and Eve there in the garden after they sinned. And it says that um, they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden, Genesis 3 verse 8, in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. They hid because there was sin in their life. But prior to this, I don't believe they were hiding. They were communing with God. They enjoyed when God would visit. And we don't know how much this happened, but I assume that There was regular communication between Adam and Eve and God. There was fellowship. That's what God wants with you and I today. What a pleasant thought as I think about how it may have been back in the garden as Adam and Eve had that opportunity to commune with God fellowship with him but then the disaster when when they chose to disobey god and sin entered the world and the separation that that brought i also want us to think a little bit about there in psalm 8 the perspective that david had and i already shared that some but he is saying what is man that thou art mindful of him Is that a proud type of thinking of himself? Or is it more of a humble and meek perspective? My mind goes to the people that wanted to build a tower that would reach to heaven. We have that account in Genesis 11. It's pretty familiar. We call it the the Tower of Babel and we know the confusion that happened there. But I want us to... Notice a little bit about their perspective in life, their um, what their desire was in building this tower, and what the outcome was. Was God pleased with what they were doing? So I just want to read a few verses here from Genesis 11. And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar. And they dwelt there and they said one to another, go to let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they made brick for stone and slime and they for 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 mortar. Sorry. And they said, go to let us build a city and a tower whose top may reach into heaven unto heaven. And let us make us a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. What did they say? let us make us a name that was their desire they wanted to make a name for themselves is that the same attitude that david had and was god pleased with this attitude verse 5 and the lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded and the lord said behold the people is one and they have all one language And this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. And so he confounded their language, and they were divided and scattered across the earth. This was exactly what they didn't want to happen. They wanted to stay together, but they wanted to... Make a name for themselves and, and God wasn't pleased with with that attitude. I don't believe Rather God wants us to have an attitude like David's Along with some of the other men that we read about in the Bible. We know That Moses was a very meek man and The definition of a meek person is one who humbly acknowledges his dependence on the goodness and grace of God And portrays no arrogance Toward their fellow men, one who humbly acknowledges his dependence on the goodness and grace of God. Do we know men like that? We know that Moses was a meek man. Exodus 3:11 says, And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? In 2 Samuel 7:18, again we have David here saying, Then went King David in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that thou hast brought me hitherto? I think that was and is the perspective that God wants each one of us to have. Who am I? Earlier in this chapter, to read a few verses there in 2 Samuel 7, we can see what's happening in... David's life he suddenly realizes that look he's living in a nice house and God is still dwelling in tents and so he goes to the prophet Nathan and asks if it would be okay to build a house for the Lord and Nathan says yes go ahead and do that but then that night God spoke to Nathan and said share these things with with David so I want to um, read a few verses from Second Samuel 7 verses 12 through 16. This is what Nathan was to share with David. And it says, "And when thy days be fulfilled, that thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy vows, and I will establish his kingdom." He shall build an house for me or for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So this is talking about David's lineage, what would happen, what would be in the future. And I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so did Nathan speak unto David. So what had God just promised David? Thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. And what's David's response in verse 18? I already read. Then went King David in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that thou hast brought me hitherto? So even though God had given him a huge promise that he would be blessing him and that his house and kingdom would be established forever, David still had that proper perspective, I believe. And went in before God saying, who am I? He didn't go in and say, you know, or act so proud. And But yet, no, he was humble and meek. So what is your attitude? What is my attitude? As we think about God and just how great he is. Psalm 139, 14 says, I will praise thee. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, that my soul knoweth right well. When we have this perspective, it causes us to worship. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. It is also good for us to think about what God has done for us to redeem you and me from certain destruction. Do look at verses from 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20. Does God care about you and I? He certainly does. 1 Corinthians 6:19 and 20. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you which, you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. And in your spirit, which are God's. So, even though man in reality is very small in comparison to the whole universe, yet God cared so much that he bought you and I. He paid a great price. I want to read these verses from the New King James Version also. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We look at the ending of verse 19 and going into 20. We are not our own. God bought us. We have been bought at a price. And I believe we all know what it costs God. He gave his only begotten son to purchase you and me. It cost Christ his life. A verse in Revelation 5-9 backs that up. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take this scroll and to open its seals. Talking about Jesus. For you were slain and you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation so does god care about you and i do we have value in his sight we do not only are we the temple of the holy ghost but he has also given us some instruction here at the end of verse 20. what does it say it says therefore Glorify God in your body. So he has bought us with a price and then we have a responsibility to glorify God in our body and in your spirit, which are God's. Again, we're reminded we are not our own, we are God's. And our responsibility is to glorify God How do we do that? How do we glorify God? We can think of certain things that we can do that does please God, such as being here this morning, pleases God. Having our daily devotional life or daily devotions pleases God. Helping one another, praying for one another, those things... Please God. But is that what really brings glory to God? Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your works and glorify your God, which is in heaven. Let your light shine. Brother Joe shared this morning in Sunday school, it matters what happens between Monday and Saturday in our life. It's not just being here Sunday morning, but our daily walk matters. Are we glorifying God then? Is our light shining to the world around us? John fifteen eight. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. So God is glorified when we bear much fruit, And our mind can go to the fruit of the spirit of love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Are we demonstrating those types of things to our brothers and sisters and to the world around us? Do we truly love them? Are we peaceful? Are we long-suffering? Do we go the extra mile? Are we gentle? Are we glorifying God every day? So a few more verses in Mark 8 that show us maybe a little bit more of ways to glorify God. Mark 8, 34 to 38. And it also gives us some perspective on the value of a full surrender to Christ. Or what happens if we're not? I want to read these verses, Mark eight thirty four 34 to 38. And, then he's, and when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Is that glorifying God if we do that? I believe so. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel's, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his father with the holy angels. Jesus says, if we are following him, whoever comes after me, let him deny himself. Self-denial. Is that easy to do? To deny self? It means we need to realize that we ourselves aren't the most important thing or person in the world focus shouldn't be on self and fulfilling our own fleshly desires. But our focus needs to be on God and on others. Verse 35. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall find it. It Reminds me. Of what the world considers a loss. What do they consider? Loss. A life that is fully surrendered to God. Being willing to go and do whatever he calls us to do. A lot of people don't want to submit to that. Submit to God and to the Holy Spirit working in their life. They want to do their own thing. But yet here it says, whoever gives up himself and fully surrenders to God, in my own words, shall enjoy eternal life with the Father. And thinking about this verse made me think of different people who have given up a lot to go and serve Other people. And my mind went to to Jim Elliott, and probably most of you know about his life and story how he he had such a desire to reach the Anka Indians that he wanted to do it. However, he was willing to to die to do it. And at age 22, um, and I'm not sure if he knew about that tribe at this point, I forget what age it was when he went to Ecuador. But he wrote that he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. What are we willing to give to sacrifice for Christ? His desire was to reach that tribe. And as they tried to communicate with the tribe, they thought that they had communicated enough that maybe they could meet with them. And as they landed their airplane there on that little um, sandbar along the, the river and waited for the tribe to come meet them. Don't know what all was going through his mind, but he was willing to wait, along with the other men that were with him, Nate Saint and so on. And even though they got to communicate a little bit, there was a, maybe a, a miscommunication Back amongst the tribe, it's my understanding. And the warriors came and ended up killing these missionaries. But Jim was willing to do that, to spread the gospel. What are you and I willing to do? Are we willing to deny self and take up our cross and follow Christ? Jesus asked a question in verse 36. What shall profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? We're surrounded by people that have dreams. You might call it an American dream to, to work hard. And it's okay to work hard. It's good to work hard. To make a lot of money, to store a lot of money up for self. So you can retire young and then just live on the interest you gain off the money that you have invested. That's a dream of many people. Is that your dream? Is that my dream? Or are we investing for God's kingdom? Are we willing to give up self and go where God wants us to go, be who God wants us to be? There are many people who are worried and care much about the money that they have and the cares of this world and care little about eternity and what the future holds verse 37 what shall a man give in exchange for his soul there are many people that are wanting to live for self and not be surrendered to god so they are giving the pleasures of this world the joys that they can experience now in exchange for their soul for eternity with Christ. It's obvious we need to provide for our families and be willing to share with others. That's what we want to do. But are these the main things that drive our life? Is this the main focus in our life or is our main focus serving God and helping others? Jesus says even if it was possible to gain the whole world that would all be in vain or as nothing if we would lose our own soul. So do we realize just how serious and how much value God has put on your life and on my life. The value that he has given it in in sending his son to come and die and shed his blood so that we can experience eternal life. Most of us can recite by memory John three sixteen for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life that is the best gift that he could give to you and I his only begotten son it was a perfect sacrifice so that we could live and spend eternity with Christ Romans 5 8 says but God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were still sinners Christ died for us this verse also demonstrates the value that God has placed on our soul even while we were still sinners Christ died for you and for me many people give great gifts such as money cars and maybe at times even a house or something greater, but no gift compares to the gift that God has given when he sent his only son to this world to live, to die, for you and I. Jesus is the best gift because he can forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He can also give us a peace that passeth all understanding To look at verse 37, we talked about it already. What, what is a man willing to give in exchange for? His soul. You no, know, we see and we can be tempted to put other things in front of God. Allow other things to take priority in our lives. But do we allow God? To be number one. Do we take reading seriously in prayer in conclusion do we really remember just how short life is psalm 90 verses 10 to 12 talk about the days of our lives are 70 years and if by reason of strength they are 80 years yet their boast is only labor and sorrow for it is soon cut off and we fly away who knows the power of your anger For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. So teach us to number our days that we may gain our heart of wisdom. We're only here for a short time. Are we making the most of it? Are we minding the spirit? I hope you will think about the value that your soul has and the value the souls of your friends and neighbors have. The value that God has placed on them. Every person is important to God and his desire is that every person would be saved. Are we doing our part in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ to the world around us? Trust that we are. Let's have a song.